Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back into another edition. The, the second edition, Mark, if we're kind of, you know, doing some counting this week of the kickabout here on the Blue Room. I'm your well, host, Rob Spoiling people at this stage, Rob. It's just, it's just, it's almost too much kick about, uh, if that's even <laughs> possible, which it certainly is possible. Um, uh, I'm Rob Vera, joined uh, as always by Mark Mosey. Well, not as always, like I, I, I did kick about earlier this week. We had a special interview with the Ringers, Steve Cerruti, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that. And, uh, you know, some really good Everton chat. Most of you will fast forward through the NBA content, but the American audience who likes basketball will, will probably enjoy some of that. But, man, Mark, uh, it's weird. Like, I think the Blue Room is just overflowing with content this week. Mainly, I think that was the plan because the season is starting on Saturday. But wow, what an explosion of activity, my man. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, and what's weird about it is that, you know, we can we can kind of approach this in a variety of different, um, from a variety of different angles. But, um, you know, since we're recording this on Thursday morning, uh, my time, Thursday afternoon, yours, um, I'm still getting coffee in my system and fighting off uh, my allergies. So hopefully I don't sound ridiculous. Um I want to get to to the discussion around Adrissa Gay, who appears to be you know relatively close to signing. Yeah. Uh, but we've been asking on a various pods and in various discussions and various threads on Twitter, when is Everton going to get a number six in here? When is Everton going to sign this stout midfielder and actually put some money into this thing? Um, I don't know. I don't know, Mark. I don't know if this has those Luis Diaz sort of vibes to it, uh, where I'm everyone saying that Everton are close to pulling this off, but uh, apparently uh, Everton are, are about to. What, what word do I want to use? See, I've seen hijack this morning, which I've always found to be needlessly aggressive, but I like gazump. Gazump's always been my word. Um, 
Are we about to gazump West Ham for this midfielder from uh, Lille, uh, Amadou Onana? It's mad how, like, as soon as you saw that rumor, I bet you thought, "Oh my God, we're back! We can, we can do this!" And totally, totally went past the fact that we have, you know, agonized uh, allegedly over deals in the last two to three weeks about the fact that. You know, we, we, we simply don't have the money up front to put farm payments in place. And instead, we're offering people £47 and a Twix. And then we'll, we'll kind of we'll figure things out as we go on from there. But as, as soon as you read Rabitia Romano saying that Everton are going to sign, as you say, what we hope will be that elusive number six midfielder for 35 million of your euros. You know? <laughs> There's no way that we won't do that. <laughs> I mean, it's weird because, the, okay, so there's multiple elements to this. One is that the way Romano's tweet, which came out late yesterday, kind of was framed, or actually, gosh, was it early, early this morning? I, I lost track. I woke up in the middle of the night, and then, of course... <laughs> You know, the worst thing you can do when you wake up in the middle of the night is to grab your phone. Read about and of course, during when the window is open, guys, as you know, uh, your boy is very, very obsessed with uh, the things that are happening uh, in a six hour plus time zone away. Uh, and of course, I went down a rabbit hole, but it, start, it basically was like West Ham are and I, and I immediately was just thinking, well, God, West Ham are signing someone else again. Like, where are they getting all this money is what's my first thing. But basically that West Ham had agreed a fee with Lille for, for this player. And then the second paragraph, which, believe me, took took me reading multiple times to make sure I believed what I was reading, said that Everton, but, but that the player preferred Everton. Like, how often do we hear, not that West Ham is some, you know, I, I, I mean, it's not weird that a player would necessarily want to come to West Ham or Everton over West Ham. It's just that generally whenever we're talking about these kind of uh, players from the continent it's always like well of course they want to go to London uh, as opposed to Liverpool and so it it was that he but he wanted to go to Everton instead and that Everton were close to match or we're going to match the fee and and by all accounts since then Everton have matched the fee the player wants to come to Everton Uh, you know Lil is given the green light so uh, you know so now we just wait for things to fall apart as they usually do Mark so um, I'm yeah I don't know, man. I I I, uh, I don't know. A th- <laughs> Look, I don't know a thing about this guy. I have seen. Uh, I, I've done the thing that we do, which is I've never heard of this guy twenty four hours ago. But now that I've seen Mick Greenall's little charts with all the long green lines, which all the, like more green is better than red. Like green is go, you know, and red is stop, and I think green is good, and red is really not good and so that the the fact that onana is a 20 year old and tell me how fellaini this sounds he's this tall imposing belgian uh player though his roots are actually in africa just like fellaini's um and he uh is a defense i believe everything i've read is that he i mean it sounds like he can 
do a lot mid, yeah. you know, in the midfield, but that I, I believe he's a, def, he's a holding midfielder. Like he's a real, I think he's a real number six, mm-hmm. but I, I, of course I find these constructs sometimes to be a little, um, this guy, a little confining Mark. Uh, but, but yeah. you know, we, I, I, it's, it's interesting. We've heard Lampard just rail on and on and on about this position needs this position. Got to have it. We were missing it. Um, got to play five at the back if we don't have this. So, you know, um, you didn't think that Everton would be able to, like, you were wondering, okay, was Dwight McNeil the the big bullet? or? But then you saw the fee he went for, which I think was probably closer to, like, 10 and going up to 19. Like, I think there's all these weird escalators on it. Um, I asked someone who... Uh, won't be named, but is someone in the media about, so where are Everton getting this money? Because that's the toughest thing about how we have to analyze this whole thing every summer, Mark, is that we all have these preconceived notions about how much spending power we do or don't have. Like last summer when we spent no money, I was convinced that if we really wanted to, we could have. Was I right? Was I wrong? I don't know. I mean, there was the talk that we were imminently signing Luis Diaz. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we, of course, that whole all hinged on Hamas Rodriguez, but we spent no money, FFP, whatever. This time, what we've heard pretty consistently was, okay, we sold Richarlison. Um, I don't, not that that, that gave us some money, but mm-hmm. not like a lot. Um, you see this figure, let's just say to round it off, let's say it's about 30 million pounds, uh, roughly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe a little more, a little less, whatever. I asked, uh, you know, a, a friend in the, the media who knows way more than I do about how these things work. I'm like, how, how can Everton do this? And it said that the difference essentially is that Lil. Um, unlike some of the clubs that we deal with at times who want more of the money up front, we're basically, you know, allowing, uh, you know, or get, or, or playing ball a little bit in terms of, you know, allowing the, 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 the fee for the player to be spread out over the life of the contract, you know, that they're more interested in getting kind of a consistent yearly income on the player uh, instead of more of the money up front. So it sounds like Everton are, are, you know, if, in theory, at least, it sounds like for all of us who've been wondering why the hell is it more happening, we've all kind of speculated that, well, you have to, as you know, if you're negotiating for anything, you you wait the uh, you wait the part the the selling party out a little bit and you say I'm gonna wait I'm gonna wait I'm gonna wait I'm gonna wait and then let's you know the longer I wait maybe the terms will get slightly more favorable mm-hmm. it sounds like this uh, by all accounts uh, and you know this has been the target for a while and uh, I think that they waited until I don't know if they waited for for West Ham to make their move and then Everton were like okay if these are the terms then we can do that too and here's how you know we can pull this off but the bottom line is is that if we get this player in i still think we're short of some goals but mark what in terms of what we've talked about ad nauseum about the weakness of the midfield this is the age the profile the the type of player that we we ostensibly need what what are your what's kind of just your initial reaction based on the little that, that you've learned about onana at this point um yeah, we need goals, but I would still and I think, you know, if rumors are to be believed, then Frank Lampard sides with me here in saying that 
the gap that we have in midfield is probably just about the most alarming concern for me. Um, and, you know, obviously at the time of recording this, we're, we're fully aware of the the implicate excuse me, the implications that losing Dominic Calvert Lewin for you know, it's Everton, so at least a month we'll have. Um, can we patch that particular area of the pitch up? You know, it's it's really difficult. Uh, I think we're probably going to see someone like Deli Ali, for example, play some form of way too technical false nine for Everton, and we, we really <laughs> yeah. struggle to to adapt. And you know what, goals will be will be hard to come by, but. He got he got a brace against Blackpool, right? That's got to count for something. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> the northern powerhouse that is Blackpool. Um, I I think that we could the, the glaring hole at not having that kind of enforcing central midfield that would leave would be even more overpowering than the the gap that Dominic Carvalho Lewin will leave. Um, as you as you rightly say, Rob, there's there's very few Evertonians on the planet who can speak long and hard about the attributes and the abilities of Onana. But the the reinforcement that I get from that and the reassurance is that Frank Lampard is is absolutely aware of of where the squad needs improving. Um, you're right in terms of you know it, it's very difficult trying to specifically caveat midfielders into certain roles because we we just slap a number on them and instinctively expect them to do all of the things that you know that the best number six we've ever seen did do or the best box box midfielder ever did do you know these conventions of footballers are sometimes not there and especially in a squad like Everton who do for for much of the time have to make the best of what they've got and you know I, I'm not I'm not putting Everton down there and I'm not tapping us on the head as a team who haven't gone out and spent big money on supposedly good players because that that's all we've done for the last four or five years but I I instantly look at someone like Abdullah Dekore who I think has time and time again in his relatively short period at Everton he struggled to really impose on me as a fan what he is. Um, you know, I, I thought about the prospect of Gay coming in and, and Onana coming in. Does Decore, is he instantly that sort of box-to-box midfielder who is alongside whoever that is, um, but is obviously given a lot more license to kind of go forward and, and do the other bits on the ball that we don't expect a, an addresser Gay, for example, to do, um, you know, to speculate about the lineup that we play against Chelsea at the weekend. If Idrissa Gay gets over the line in the next 12 hours, I think he starts um, because that's just the, that's the the damning realism of Everton's midfield. But yeah, it's, um, it, it, I think the, the annoyance for me, Robin, you know, how Everton handle the entire transfer window. And I, I, I get that there's, so much kind of financial background here that we will never be privy to, but it does feel as though we eternally wait for the issues before we start thinking about solving the issues. There's no real productivity and no real forward thinking in terms of, you know, me and Matt spoke about this after coming out against Blackpool and said, if we lose Dominic Calvert-Lewin, we are fucked because the, there is no one else there. Like Solomon Rondon might as well not be there. 
Um, Lewis Dobbin and Ellis Sims are clearly seen as players who are not ready for that step up. And beyond that, that there is genuinely no one to play that role. And it, it's just disappointing that we've we've got to this stage of crisis almost within 72 hours of the season start and that we kind of look and think, well, maybe we should pay some attention to this. Um, and, you know, th- this isn't the first example of it. Central midfield is is very much an example of it. I, I know that we're... I know that we're kind of in an exciting Twitter refreshing stage at the moment to see which midfielder we can get in, but it's it's early August. Like we've we've known about these issues for you know to be very generous since the start of this transfer window, but in reality, we've known about them for far longer than that. Um, and you know, I'm I'm not being flippant about the dealings of of footballer movements. They they are incredibly difficult people to move from one club to another for a wide variety of reasons and it has to be right um but it, it, it does feel as though we could very easily get to the end of august start of september we've got a small handful of points and we're kind of scratching around about how we possibly improve the squad and where we go in the next four or five games and and you know that's not i'm not starting this season off on an incredibly depressing note but it, it did feel as though it did feel as though on the back end of last season you know Everything was all over the place about the football club, but we were all ready to draw an enormous line over that season and say the positive of this is that we've learned what we're not good at. You know, we need to get players in earlier. We need to have a far deeper squad. We need to have better quality in certain areas. And to a, to a point, we've tried to address a couple of these issues, but are we are we stronger as an entity now than when we played against Crystal Palace at home? You know, has the stock of Everton gone up in any way from a footballing point of view? I would say probably not. Uh, you know, we, we're in that we're in that pre-season mode on the blue room of talking about prediction shows and you know what we think will happen over the next four weeks, over the next eight months. I don't think any of us really are out of that mindset of we're a bottom half slash relegation fighting team because there's been nothing to show us that anything has really changed since that point. And I think that's that's been the that's my overall summary of preseason really is that all, all of the boundaries that last season put on me in terms of my expectation for Everton, I expected to to unshackle all of them in in July or August. I expected to break out of that mentality of Why? Why why did you expect different like why <laughs> what, what about how Everton has operated made you think they were going to get into the market early and be able to and in fit look I, you know I, I don't I don't embrace change I expected change I, you wanted to manifest it I know look I see I hear you and and I have I share a lot of the same concerns um I, I just um I'm always I always kind of watch the the long early, I mean, the summer until uh, the players return for preseason training. It, it's just the longest slog of inactivity every, and we expect that it'll be different some year. And the only year I can remember it really being different was the, you know, uh, the party boy, some, uh, Steve Walsh summer, where he, you know, just brought book briefcases of money and bought you know Classen and Keene and Pickford like in three straight days in the middle of July and I was just like yeah we're 
we're rich. We're going to live forever. Um, I'd love to go back, by the way, to the blue room of that summer and listen to some oh, apps. We spoke about those players coming in. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure we just thought, okay, see now this is what it's like to have money and we could just get deals done. And you know, like it was, it was, it was so naive. Um, and in hindsight, you look back now, barring Jordan Pickford, and you look at the money that – and Kevin Thelo might say, if he were listening to this, uh, which he really should be working on more important things. But let's, if he was listening to this, he'd say, yeah, Everton got those deals done early that summer. We could have gotten some deals done earlier this summer. But look what, look, look what we paid for those players and look yes. how those things turned out. I, and, look, and that's why we're in this mess that we're in that forces us to wait later in the market. Like, I just think that Everton are still and it's, it's not an easy thing to break out of, as we've discovered very painfully. Yeah. They're still paying for the sins of, of the last several years and probably will be in January. And I think that next summer there's this idea that there might be, you know, even a little more uh, financial freedom. Uh, we'll see. Um, but I think that the question of I, I hate season preview time. Uh, like yeah. I'm don't get like, wrong. I like I like the talk of going into the season and talking about just generally season. But like predictions, you can't. I, I say it every year. You just until that window closes and you know what your squad's going to be. It, it just seems like right now I I I have to believe that a striker, good or bad, is coming into this club right. And if that's the case, without knowing who that is, uh, I, I I feel like I'm just working with such incomplete information. But to your point, Mark, like if you take the season, the team that ended, let's let's just forget Arsenal. Let's just say the, the that game at Palace, right? I mean, obviously the big losses were Charleston. Um, I think we have partially begun the process of replacing him in Dwight McNeil. Um, and I say partially just because I do think that McNeil has a lot of those, has a lot of the assets in terms of, you know, he presses the hell out of the ball. His work rate's really good. Um, I think McNeil may probably be a better creator passer type. Uh, obviously, uh, we all know about the scoring numbers last season. Um, I do think that uh, I was also, I know it's, it's uh, as, as uh, our, our friend Matt Flusk put it so eloquently, uh, he scored two goals against a, a team on war rations uh, in Dynamo Kiev. But I, I would say, though, that mentally it was good McNeil scored those goals because I think that when you haven't scored in a year, you need to, you know, first time out wearing that blue shirt, score yeah. some goals is probably good. But, like, I don't think anyone thinks McNeil is the, you know, full replacement for the goals. So... There still seems, whether it's on loan or something else, there still seems like there's that move to go. Now, I am certainly not yet in the position where I'm like taking for granted that we're going to sign this Onana. Uh, this Onana. Uh, and, uh, you know, Amadou Onana, I, I, and I want to get back to him in a second, but let's say you sign him, you sign Gay, um, you sign... And, and, and again, what, whatever the combination is there, I mean, Onana's played both the eight, the six. Mm -hmm. uh, he's primarily a defense, like a elite defensive player. He struggles a little offensively, uh, <laughs> you know, and welcome to Everton, of course. Um, but 
you know, and then let's just say that you now have replaced two thirds of that central midfield. Well, then I start, then my radar starts to go up on the question of are Everton better than they were at the end of last season? Just because while the Richarlison gap hasn't been filled, having, having James Tarkovsky theoretically play 35 plus games this season, having two thirds of your midfield replaced and not having to see Andre Gomes out there struggling or Tom Davis, I assume Decore would be in the mix there. It's you know somewhere. I, I you know I don't know. Uh, how do you line up? Where, where does a Wobi play into this? For instance, uh, you know is I don't. I think we've learned he's not a wing player, et cetera. So look, I, I think that that you know they have some options now. Uh, if Patterson gets is the real like is Nathan Patterson part of this equation now? I mean, again, it's just the preseason, but I feel like the stuff we were sold on about him uh, seems like at least offensively seems to be there. And so, you know, you have, uh, you have him and Michalenko. It's weird to say this about Everton, but Everton's strength actually now seems to be on the perimeter. Doesn't it like their wing players, they're, 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 they're attacking fullbacks. It's that, it's that doughy soft middle that's been the problem. Uh, And so, my my point in all of this is just to say I want to see what's to come. But if we can sign, if we sign Anana, we sign Gay, we sign uh, Vinagre. Now we have a backup left back. We sign McNeil, and we sign a striker of at least you know moderate quality who's not you know forty years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I'm I'm forty three and I can. F- just tell you guys that it's all over after 40. So just, just get ready. Um, but if we do that, then okay. I think now I'm not, I still think we're a bottom half team, but at least I don't think we're, I think we're much safer from the relegation question at that mm-hmm. point. I, okay. Having said all of that, um, let me indulge me for a moment here, Mark on Onana. Um, I posted this just because if we're going to talk about him a little bit, uh, and again, we don't have to get into a whole discussion about him, but we've already kind of broached that subject. I, I do want to add a little context because a lot of people listening to this right now will have, especially over here in America, will have just woken up. They're seeing all this stuff about some guy named Amadou Onana. They don't know who he is. I posted, an, when I saw this late last night, I posted uh, an article that was actually just uh, written and posted uh, on the uh, Breaking the Lines website. They do some really good uh, pr- player profile work, uh, analytical work. Uh, this is, I want to make sure I credit it, written by Luke James. Uh, I've posted it on my Twitter account, and you can read it. There's just a few sections here um, that I, that I want to highlight. Um, a couple of quotes. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of this guy, Belgium head coach Roberto Martinez, Martinez, yeah. something like that. I think I feel like. Yeah, I've heard of him. Okay, so Anana is a Belgian international is a Belgian international player. He's originally though his family's from Senegal, um, which that that con- I wonder if there's a connection with Gay somehow. But uh, quote from him uh, from Roberto Martinez uh, regarding Onana: He has a strong personality. We saw him as soon as he started playing. He never hides. He asks for the ball and dares. That's why I wanted to bring him into a situation of pressure in a full stadium and a derby. He will be able to develop with our team. 
The part that really stuck out for me is the thing we've talked about with our midfielders over the years, Mark, about how much they hide, how much they don't want the ball. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that, that certainly sounds promising. Uh, Hamburg's director of sport, Jonas, uh, Jonas Bolt, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Technically, Amadou has perfect prerequisites. He is fast, technically skilled, tall, and strong in tackling. On a tactical level, he still has to develop. Uh, that's why he was planned more as one of two defensive mid- midfielders as he was not yet able to reliably close the spaces on his own. Overall, though, you'd certainly be well advised to use him as a box-to-box player with a more defensive midfielder behind him. So, you know, this becomes the question of, is he a pure six? Can he develop into that? He's only 20. Um, if you're pairing him with Gay, is that the the combo there that you're looking at? Yeah. Um, you know, it, you know. according to this piece, uh, and th- these are just a few of the numbers, Anana takes an active, aggressive approach to defending. He averaged 3.91 loose balls, one, 9.15 recoveries. That's good. Uh, 4.61 interceptions. All, all of those numbers are per 90 last season. Those mm-hmm. are those are very promising uh, defensively. He's, it indicates that he is his effectiveness is as a disruptor. Uh, once his one and a half sliding tackles and six point six seven defensive duels, one per ninety, are accounted for, it becomes clear he is not afraid of doing the dirty work. Now, mm-hmm. part of me reads that mark and thinks, okay, that sounds wonderful. And the other part of me thinks, is are he and Adrissa Gay somewhat redundant? I you know I don't know if we're because because that's what Gay, Gay's credited as being more of a disruptor than a traditional six. So yeah. I, I don't know what to make out of that. T- t- give me your smart football analysis based on a little. The, bit. the first thing I'd say about that, Rob, is that you know we we are already bemoaning this club for assuming that eleven players will get us through the season. You know, depth right. depth is vital, and that, that's in Fair. absolutely every area. And you know what? If I don't know the the financial background to the address a gay move or you know will it be permanent will it be a loan whatever sounds um, like it's going to be permanent but yeah, like just, a short-term deal like maybe two years i mean the, depending on the the wage or the fee that is connected to him is it the worst thing in the world if ever can go out and sign a midfielder and say well you're our main six or you're our main box-to-box midfielder wherever it may be and address a gay is here to come in and be that six when it's required or, you know, you can come in and be a little bit more box-to-box when it's needed. Have that little bit of depth in the middle of the park, basically. Um, it gives us options. And I think you look at Everton's midfield and our midfield now and it's more of a shoehorning people into that team ahead of the weekend. You know, as you say, Decore plays. Um, Awobi probably plays, but as you say... We don't really still know what what type of player he is. Um, at the the Dynamo Kiev game, we saw Decore and Awobi play alongside each other in a two, and um, that for me is footballing suicide against Chelsea. And um, you yeah. need to have someone in there who's a little bit more defensively robust, and you probably need to have someone on there who's a lot cleverer on the ball. Um, so and Decore Decore is going into the last year of his deal as well. We should note that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that the the kind of contractual option on him has been discussed, hasn't it, this year? Um, I, I like to think that he'll, A, sign that contract and B, go on to prove why he's been offered that. Uh, but he, he's certainly not someone who you're thinking, you know, is not going to be part of the immediate future of the, of the football club. But that's just naive football fan talking. Um, to go back to something you said earlier, Rob, about 
you know, Everton going out onto the continent looking for players and certainly the financial reason reasons why you've said that that is, is doable at the moment. You know, we've we've consistently argued throughout this entire summer about Everton's scouting network being basically up and down the M56 motorway and not, not really being able to be expansive in terms of going out and seeking this kind of inverted commas unknown quantity. And I, I know that there's a mm. there's an obvious element of risk that is carried when you go out to, you know, leagues that you don't know or countries that you don't know in terms of signing players. But we we've spoken about the various directors of football at Everton and their ability to seek value and take quantified risks. And I don't really think even from what we've we've seen or heard of Kevin Farwell, I don't think we've got to that point yet whereby, you know, everyone wants us to sign an equivalent quality player but pay half as much money for him. You know, that, that, <laughs> Yeah, that's the dream, of course. We want to pay as little as possible so we can brag that we paid as little as possible for the best possible player. Exactly. So everyone wants to do that. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's the obvious goal, but I think, you know, on, on the flip side of that, you do look at someone like Dwight McNeil and people will say, well, is he is he worth 10 million? Is, is the quality there to to justify that? Well, I think Matt made the point on a show recently where he said, do you know what? It, it, I, I personally think so. But if that's not the case, we'll probably still be able to recoup 70 or 80% of that fee for a 22 to 24-year-old midfielder whenever exactly. he leaves. The value is retained. And, and you like to think that with someone like Anana, you know, Oh, yeah. I, I could probably name countless players who top-level English clubs have gone out onto the continent and paid good money for, and it hasn't worked. And then they've moved to a lesser Premier League club or another continental club for a double-figures fee at the end of two seasons where everyone would admittedly hold their hands up and say, that player did not perform for us. And I think that the, the problem with Everton's transfer business is that, yes, we've we've gone out and spent... 30 to 50 million pounds on players but at the end of that failed two to three year process in some cases we get absolutely nothing back for them and I think it's it's something that when Marcel Brands came in I think we all sat back and adopted the philosophy of we're going to be a bit more financially savvy here you know we don't want to be slapping labels on our foreheads as being selling selling clubs but maybe that's part of our role here in terms of going out and, and seeking these and I know, Rob, you've you've said it before. It's not necessarily a case of sticking football manager on and and you know searching generically for wonder kids and going out and getting them because there's a degree of know-how with buying Premier League players or buying experienced players that is part of their value. But I I am ready for Everton, not necessarily to go and find the next Riyad Mahrez for two million pound and then go and win the league with him. But if, if we're going to go and spend £20 million on a player, go and sign Marouane Fellaini. You know, he, he's very capable. He's one of the best players in his league. If right. Marouane Fellaini didn't quite work at Everton, and we all, you know, for a large part of his early Everton career, we really didn't think it would. If Roberto Martinez came in and wanted him to play expansive, at-your-feet football, and he didn't look like he was capable of doing that, we just sold him for ten million pound, and and that's just the the nature of the type of player, the fee we paid, the age that he was at the point of prospectively selling him. 
there is an idea about how to run a business there. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's an incredibly cold way to look at football, but I, I'm ready for I'm ready for Everton not to be that laughing stock of the transfer market. You know, yeah. we, we've seen Aston Villa were, were very much gearing up to be that team, weren't they, at the start of this window, whereby they were getting linked with people like Luis Suarez. And there was all <laughs> the... I'm sure we've all been here feels about the way that they were going about their business. And it does look as though they've kind of settled down way below the, the Steve Walsh's Everton levels. But I think I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for us to be a little bit more sensible and take quantified risks. And, you know, I, I get that people will hear that sentence and say, well, that could get us relegated. But at the moment we're just treading water. And if we are to go into this squad and not take those risks and continue to either not strengthen or strengthen with the wrong people at the wrong prices, then this football club is only going one way. Um, so, yeah. you know, whether it's Onana or whether it's someone else from, God forbid, a lower league or someone else from a, a continental league or a South American league, I, I, I get that the, the idea that I'm portraying here is a lot easier to say than it is to accomplish, but it's also a lot easier to totally mess it up. And I think that's something that Everton have been far too adept at. Well, and I, I think you're you're spot on on a lot of this. I, 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 I too wish for um, Everton to be, and 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 again, I I. I don't know. I, I I feel like I've done that. We've done this over the years where we're like, well, maybe next year when they have X person in place, then they'll be able to start doing Y with their transfer business. I mean, I, I know that Kevin Delwell is um, still to get his full recruitment team in place. Obviously we'll have a cleaner wage bill next year. So maybe the idea, and again, I keep going back to this. It's just an idea we're all kind of speculating because you know there's no transparency, uh, but the idea is that that uh, you're going to see a little more diversification uh, and a little more broadening of of our targets. But to to your point, uh, and, and I think I've said this uh, a couple times too, and and I I just generally gener- generally believe uh, this is a a philosophy that is certainly not anything I came up with. It just it makes logical sense if you're gonna. If you're gonna uh, overspend, or if you're gonna fault, mm-hmm. fault young, <laughs> fault young, like get you know, make a mistake on a player young, and and that way, um, you know, because I, I think about, I remember a couple like a week ago, uh, Adam, I I tweeted about Adam Lookman was headed to like his fifth club or sixth club, something like that, and he's 24 years old, he's already a journeyman, but he, think about how disappointed you felt in Adam Lookman or even Nikola Vlasic, you know, we made pretty good money on both of those deals, if I recall, like, and, and, you know, I, I think that that's, that's kind of where I think, well, then what if someone like Onana comes here and actually excels? I mean, everyone gets all, you know, they get all angsty about, well, if, uh, you know, why wouldn't he just stay at Everton? Like, don't, again, don't worry about four years from now. If we have four good years with Onana, uh, then that means we'll have been doing well. Then we'll be in a position to go do what we need to do in other ways. And if we're selling Onana in four years, because a lot of these players and their agents, they, they, they still have a pretty traditional view of the life cycle, which let's, let's all, let's all be real about what the life cycle is. Um, 
fair or not, every team from seven below is in its own way a glorified farm system for the the six teams at yeah. the top of the league and uh, and or the Champions League elite on the continent. That's I look. You know how I feel about the system. You know how I feel about how unfair that is. But that's the reality. As long as that's the reality, what I want is for Everton to pay thirty million. You know, if they're going to pay thirty million for Onana uh, instead of getting him maybe one stop before when we could have gotten him for ten or what, you know, whatever. Bottom line is he's twenty years old. You know, if we're selling him at twenty four uh, for stupid money, that's the kind of frankly cyclical business that Everton are going to have to get better in um you you know even even some of that I think is mitigated when you know we talked I think Mark we've talked before about Everton um you know starting with the window last January um you know having to sometimes take what I you know take what I call swings I I this was a concept that i've i've become familiar with or a terminology uh that's been referenced in other sports uh where you essentially buy low on a player with high upside and it may not work out most of the time but if it does work out and you you hit on it uh then even if you only hit on one out of three of those they were relatively inexpensive swings and so just hitting on one just the math works out for you right so I think that that you know if you know Delhi comes in, for instance, again, I, I'm not expecting miracles, but you paid so little for Delhi. If he can come in, given he's only 25, or now maybe it's 26. I can't remember if he's turned 26 yet. But the bottom line is, is that you get him back to 75% of who he used to be. It's already way, way more worth the money than you know more than the money you paid for him. Um, Damari Gray. You, you bought for nothing uh, and he's still a young in the middle of his prime player who ended up scoring very vital goals for Everton last season. But on the younger end of those things uh, of that equation, the Dwight McNeil, who I'm still not convinced isn't 28 years old. I feel like he's yeah. been in the league for 10 years. I think it's, you know what it is, Mark? I think it's because his name is Dwight McNeil and his name just, just kind of, it just blurs together with every other standard white guy name at Burnley. I'm pretty convinced that like, that's I'm like, no, Dwight McNeil has been playing for them since the mid two thousands. It's gotta be, you know, but I know that's not true. He's young. And, you know, even with him, he is definitely a Everton kind of bottom at the, you know, pretty much what's going to be his lowest point. That's also happens to you know accompany an age that's really ideal right like zero goals one assist last season but you paid like 10 million for him i know the escalator goes up to like 19 if we win the champions league and if hey if we have to pay 19 million for driving McNeil, we've probably won a trophy i'm fine with that okay but yeah. the bottom line being that like you know i think if dwight mcneil scores I'm just going to throw out something mediocre. Let's say he scores five goals this season, Mark. Okay. At age 22. Yeah. Okay. 22 and he scores five goals and let's say has five assists, you know, I mean, yeah, it's fine. It's not great. It's, you know, it's better than Anthony Gordon's season last season that everyone is talks about being some revelation. And so let's say he does that. Well, he'll be, uh, 23 next season coming off a season where he was involved in 10 goals he'll already be worth 10 million more than you just paid for him 
and he's English, right? So like I, I I get it. I get that that these are I was a little mystified by the move at first, but like if Dwight McNeil can even have a modest bounce back, not to mention what his top level ceiling is, then you know, that, you know, even Ruben Vinagre, who is just a backup squad player, he's 23. He's on a loan. We don't have to, you know, we basically get to decide if we want to keep him after this year. I'd rather be evaluating a young player in a position like that than an older player who you're definitely not keeping at age 28 on big wages. And so uh, defaulting to young, defaulting to young, these are, this is, this is what I want to see more of. Less of the Decore Allen, Hamas Rodriguez age profile signings and more of this uh and and then you can start uh you know developing into something uh mark before i want to jump right back to you uh i'd be remiss just because we got team news uh, some team news here Mm -hmm. uh frank lampard's doing his presser i don't know if you're you're paying attention to this on twitter um Calvert Lewin, uh, they estimate to be out six weeks. I've generally found that whenever Everton or any club say six weeks, it generally means eight weeks because yeah. you probably, you know, I always add two more weeks in to get back up to fitness and, you know, the inevitable. Of course, I, you know, I don't know how you feel, Mark. I'm a little, I, I'm a little freaked out because last season Calvert Lewin was out for, he'll just be out a few weeks and then it was a few more weeks and then he didn't play 80% of the season. So I don't want to have those flashbacks. But on the bright side, because uh, I want to come back to Calvert Lewin, uh, Yerry Mina's fit for yeah. the game. Uh, mm-hmm. So it turned out that he was held out for precautionary reasons against, uh, I cannot tell you how, by the way, just as an aside, Mark, I had zero interest in seeing Yerry Mina play a meaningless game oh, a week bad. before the season started. Because if there is one, you have to admit this, if there is one cl- one player for Everton who always excels against Chelsea, it's Yerry Mina. So I really, really want to see uh, him start uh, next to Tarkovsky and probably Godfrey this weekend. Yeah. Uh, Calvert-Lewin, okay, I, w- I want to talk about this just a little bit, Mark. Um, is this just a little minor, a minor setback? I mean, there's maybe you don't know, but... Uh, Calvert Lewin is he officially moving into injury prone territory? What's going? What's what do you make of all this? It's just it's weird. And then there was the he pulled over by the police for speeding. Was it an accident? Uh, I, I don't know what happened. I'm, I'm I feel like oh, there's a lot of shrouded mystery in all this. Well, first of all, Yerry Mina is definitely becoming the Leslie King of Everton, whereby we kind of selectively choose when he's actually allowed to take the field or kick the ball. Um, you <laughs> That's know, fine. It was very much in that mold at the back end of King's career. And I think we are already, as you say, we're, we're kind of getting to that stage with Mina. But, you know, I, I absolutely echo your point in that there is no way if Everton's games are not meaningful that he should be playing any part in them. Um, so, yeah, I'm relieved that we've got one area of the pitch that... We've managed to um, not only get our best players fit, um, but we've managed to achieve some form of preseason consistency. I think, you know, him and Tarkovsky and Godfrey have played relatively predominant roles in, in most games, and we saw them line up all together at Blackpool. And yes, all of the Blackpool things that you'll say, but it, it looked fairly secure. And I think most of us were were happy at varying levels of that first half against Blackpool that this was going to be our or three going forward. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very much nice to have him back. And, you know, I, I, I joked about Calvert-Lewin being out for four weeks at the start of this very podcast, Rob, and the fact that that has doubled halfway through this very podcast is just the most 
typical thing ever. Um, yeah. Lewin, is he injury prone? Do you know what? The, the thing that I'm kind of glad about and the thing that reassures me about this injury that he's got at the moment is that in typical comical fashion, two days ago, he did that interview saying how fit he felt. and how, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> how raring to go he was. And, you know, it's great to go last season on a positive and I'm ready to bounce into yeah. the next one. Etc. But the the thing I took away from that was that there, there clearly was no kind of lingering feeling from that that major injury that he had last season. And you know that when Frank Lampard was asked to speak about this this week, he did call it a a freak injury when he was passing the ball. I think I don't even think it was an impact injury, which okay. um, would have been even more reassuring. But the thing I'm trying to take away from that is that we hope that this is a a fresh injury in many ways and I know it, it, I know it's not good to have multiple injuries in the locker but at least it's not some form of reoccurrence of a of an old issue that I'm aware of um, and we're able to kind of take and treat this in isolation and you know what, what are we looking at there the start of October really realistically uh, before we get him in um, disappointingly I don't know how close he was to an England squad for that World Cup but this this probably puts a, an enormous dent in that, but you know, from a selfish point of view, I, I couldn't care less about them, and we we need that lad firing on all cylinders for Everton. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So much of my theory of, uh, you know, my theory of a a better than expected Everton season has revolved around the notion that Calvert Lewin. Uh, yeah has so much to bounce back from after last season. He has ambition to, you know, whether anyone wants to hear it or not, get a move and all like, you know, there's been, there's been way too much smoke for there not to be some fire around that Mm -hmm. Arsenal talk and, you know, maybe moving. I mean, it'll probably end up being Newcastle or something like that next season. But like, I, I don't even really care about next. I don't care about next season. I care about, um, yeah, I want Calvert Lewin to have, you know, be motivated for whatever reasons motivate him to have a great season for us. Because if he does, then we're going to get a hell of a fee for him. We're going to, you know, it's going to, it'll all work out, I feel like. But, man, I, that's tough, man. I hate, I hate starting a season like this because it feels like when strikers, Strikers are such fisk, you know, fickle beasts, man. You know, it's it's about like, you know, because when he did come back, Calvert-Lewin finally came back. Remember how rusty he was? How he yeah. had no confidence and all those old issues came bubbling back up. So the mentality thing, I worry about a little bit there. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's not the it's not the, you know, being very optimistic here. It's not the four to six weeks that he sits on the sideline for. It's the four to five weeks that it takes him to to get up to speed. Not only on the back of an injury, but on the back of an entire preseason. Um, so we potentially are looking at that kind of. Well, I was going to say the Christmas run of fixtures, but they don't exist. So are, are we looking beyond Christmas until we really get the version of Dominic Carvalho back that we need? Probably. 
Um, as you say, he's he's probably one of the players who, um, and you know, this is beyond all of the criticism that most of us, including myself, have given him in recent times. But he probably is the player that you look at and say, well, if, if you have a good season, Everton have a good season. Um, yes, I'd, yes. I'd probably, Talisman, bellwether, whatever you want to call it, for sure. I'd, I'd probably throw Dele Alli into that from a totally unknown point of view. Of Same. If, if he is anywhere near the attacking midfielder that we all hope he'll be this season, then we're probably looking at 10 goals, probably the equivalent amount of points won and him being a major part of this team. And it's probably for that reason, Robin, the, the, the attributes that Calvert-Lewin has, that I was probably a little bit more okay with Richarlison leaving the club than I am with Calvert-Lewin. And that, that's not to say that we haven't had more from the former in, in the last few years, but I think a stereotypical number nine that Calvert-Lewin has very much evolved into is a far more irreplaceable prospect than a wide attacking player. And, and you know, that that's not... I appreciate that this is all very easy to say now that Richarlison has moved on, but I think stylistically, we, you know, we look at people like Damari Gray and Dwight McNeil and Anthony Gordon, you know, that... There's a lot of Everton lineups this year that won't necessarily instinctively miss Richarlison. And I know that there's a quality gulf there, but there, there was so much background with Richarlison in terms of the the different things that he offered on the pitch and the different things that he offered off the pitch. Off the pitch, yeah. That, yeah. that probably excelled his stock with Everton fans. You know, greater than the sum of his parts, Mark. He was yeah, always greater than the sum I, of his parts. You know, I'm not saying that he's not a, a great footballer, but um, to go back to the point, Calvert-Lewin is far more difficult a prospect for Everton to replace. Um, you know, it seems as though this kind of wide number 11 attacking midfield player is the new in role for footballers and they, they are going to be <laughs> very much available going forward. But to get someone in, in Calvert-Lewin's ilk with the the strength, um, the youth, the ability to learn that we've seen under, in particular, Carlo Ancelotti. I think the fact that Everton have, we've made that player. We, we've developed him into the right. Carlo Lewin that he is. I mean, I'm not saying that, that he, he is that example of the player you bought for a million and a half yeah. and, and you hit on. Absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that that's not a, a, a scenario that we can't replicate, but are we now going to sit back in this in this situation and say, well, we're not going to go out and sign Dominic Calvert-Lewin. We're going to go and sign someone who could be like that in three to four years. Right, have, we got, right. have we got the patience? We, we, we probably had that affordability going back a few years ago when we did have, you know, Lukaku or, or whatever other striker it was over the last few seasons in order to get us through this kind of awkward growing phase of Dominic Carvert-Lewin. We simply right. haven't got that. And if, if we decide to go down that route, the the unfortunate young player who comes in gets thrown into the starting eleven way too early and Everton probably don't get the goals they need and they're in relegation trouble. And, and Well, that's what that happened with Carvert-Lewin, isn't it? That, I mean, isn't that what yeah. Calvert-Lewin... Because it was Rooney, I guess, here. Uh, but Calvert-Lewin yeah. had to... How many years did it feel... It felt like years that Calvert-Lewin started games and not scored. And we were just like, well, but he's a he's a real good facilitator. Uh, he helps other players. Yeah. And he did. But it took a lot of growing pains for him to to get there. 
I've, yeah, no, your point's really well. I, that's the thing is I would like Calvert-Lewin to be fit this season and us invest in a young striker in this window, even if it's a loan with, you know, that we may eventually buy him and that Calvert-Lewin serves as that transitional player before we sell him. And then, then you've set the plate up for the next guy. Um, that's how it should work, yeah. at least. I think the associated fee to replace Calvert-Lewin is, is way higher just because finding someone who can put the ball in the back of a goal is incredibly it's difficult for a game hard. that relies on it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. it's. Um, I, I go back to my earlier point, Robin, that th- this was always a red alert issue for me going into this season. You know, we, we were always going to lose one of, if not both, of Richarlison and Calvert Lewin. And at that point, we had to start thinking about our approach to replacing them. And, you know, what? I'm. I, we, that doesn't necessarily mean going and spending £60 million on a footballer that is an enormous risk and, quite frankly, money that we don't have. But there had to be right. some form of forward thinking about how this was going to be. You know, maybe going five at the back is part of that. Um, maybe signing Dwight McNeil and, and, you know, having the ability to play Dali Ali in that false nine, which we have, to be fair, seen a little bit in pre-season. Maybe all these are nods towards how we're going to deal with that problem. Maybe it's just us putting out fires. And it it, it certainly feels a lot of the latter for me. Um, Mm. In a way, having Chelsea at home first game of the season, does that buy us an extra week in the transfer market? Because we're not going to be doing a whole lot of attacking. Um, I'm I'm looking at that (laughs) in an incredibly, incredibly positive spin, but maybe Dele Alli does a job for us there this week, but I think it's just the the setup that you have early in the in, early in the season, and in particular what you do up top. It's it's setting your stall out to show the rest of the league and show supporters of your own football club what type of attitude and what type of purpose you're going to have going into the rest of the season. And you know, I, I know that we've seen teams score 14 goals at foot in four games at the start of the season, and then. Automatically, mm-hmm. because quite frankly, we, we've all we've all in recent memory been there. But it, it very right. much it, put, it puts you on that pedestal to kick on for the rest of the season. And I think that you know I'm I'm almost trying to predict what happens over the next two months here. But I'm already frustrated at Everton's poor start to the season. And <laughs> before it's even started, yeah. <laughs> That's unfortunately the mentality that a relatively frail squad brings you, doesn't it? Because, you know, yeah. we, we could we could label this at any number of players. And, you know, it, before Tarkovsky came in, Yerry Mina would have been that one, wouldn't it? Can, can you imagine the Twitter explosion on the back of that Dynamo Kiev game? had James Tarkovsky just not been a thing. You know, Yerry Mina not being involved in that 11, we'd have been having all of the same debates. Oh, yeah. More more Keenan Holgate. I just, yeah, couldn't couldn't do it. I, I know he's had troubling times recently on the pitch, but if Idrissa Gay or Anana or a, an equivalent don't come in this week and Abdullah Dekore gets injured, we, we'd have been having all of the, right. the, the same arguments and... I think it's the the thing that I hate deferring to and, and constantly being my base point as an Everton fan is that kind of typical Everton that mentality. But they, they always manage to find a way to drag you back into that that 
kind of platform <laughs> of thinking. And I think that, that yeah. this is probably the first time this season where I've I've thought like that. I know that a lot of people have had certain grievances about other areas of the pitch or, you know, results in preseason. That Minnesota game I thought I thought the whole oh. My friends are still giving me shit about. It. Can yeah. I can I tell you this? I, I sent some friends of mine here in the states a link to my interview with Steve Cerruti that we did earlier this week on the Kickabout, and I think the tweet said something about you know we discussed Everton, Steve's journey to becoming an Everton fan or whatever, and the response from one of my my dickhole friends was, uh, "I'm more interested in uh, you know a, a fan's journey to becoming a Minnesota United fan than I am Everton." <laughs> they you know they all just they all will not let that result go that, that <laughs> so. is, i know that frank lampard has kind of alluded to this in his um press conference today rob but that i, I said at the time that is the best thing that could possibly have happened to him yeah i think i think it was too we, we yeah. absolutely needed that firework up the arse to say you know the preparation's not good enough the acceleration in which we need to become accustomed to this new system is not good enough and our general players and attitude and everything I think there's no part of this sport that Everton did well on that night uh, and you know what it, it was perfect timing because we, we've spoken about Everton going to America in pre-season before and we always spoke about it under David Moyes as being the pinnacle thing that could happen in July that propels Everton to a good season and it, it doesn't mean that we go over there and we spank a couple of MLS teams and we don't concede and then we come home and, and we kick on from there because yeah. that's just not how football works but I think that what it what it needs to show you is the, the areas in which you're weaker in but also I think that the thing that we took you know, from a from an outsider looking in from those particular trips and those particular pre-seasons is that we came back a stronger group. And I think that that's something that we really need to harness. And, you know, we've, we've spoken about the, the non-footballing elements of the, the club in general and, you know, the, the togetherness and all of these things that changed at the back end of last season. But, you know, it, it's nice for fans to get involved in that sort of thing. But the, the important thing has to be that the group of players is far more united than when it was at the start of last season. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah. the absence of Rafael Benitez will play a major part in that. But, you know, as much as we agonise about players not having come in and, and certain areas of the team that haven't been strengthened, I think it was probably almost equally important that the, the one player who didn't want to be here for whatever reason is now long gone and we've been able to emotionally develop on and move on from that. And I think, you know, if Richarlison was still lingering around a la Jolie and Lescott, then then that would have caused a real issue. But, you know, we'll only find out at half past five on Saturday afternoon. And that's the, that's the beauty yeah. of competitive sport in that everything that goes before it, you know, I, th- there'll be nuanced things in training that Lampard has worked on and we'll see little glimmers off against Chelsea. But, it's it's the it's the feeling of ninety minutes of competitive football at Goodison Park, isn't it? And you know, yeah, not to take this on a on a you know stupidly emotional level, but the the, the players will only really find out what they've learned in preseason or how they've developed or how this is going to look going forward when that referee's whistle goes on on Saturday because 
there's there's something about the nature of that game, you know, the the late kickoff, the fact that it's Chelsea in particular. I think there's there's a lot of free hit mentality already creeping in here in terms of you know that, yeah. that underdog spirit of well we haven't even got a striker but we're playing Chelsea well. have had their own struggles this this summer and they've got their own weird transition going on and I'd rather play them at Goodison early in the season at night oh, um, with that 100%. crowd 100% I can't think of anything worse than playing not Forest at home. Oh yeah, yeah. A, a, because a promoted team. I oh, hate that. <laughs> we go back to that. I think it was Crystal Palace at the start of the ninety-seven, ninety-eight season. I think it was. Or someone will correct me on that year where we got our asses handed to us by a newly promoted team. And this this preseason and this kind of squad predicament that we're in, it kind of had the potential to go down that route. Um, Chelsea, for me, you know, under. Probably the lights, knowing the the fading British summer, um, it, it has all of that potential to be one of those games whereby maybe maybe the goodwill that we generate from a, a good performance or a good result against them gets us through the next few difficult weeks of not having a Calvert Lewin, for example. But I don't know, I don't know about you, Rob, but I see you know on the back of the Calvert Lewin injury in particular, and going into a relatively tough game or a tough season. I'm already seeing that we've got to be there for the players. You know, the fans have got to pull us through mentality. And, you know, I like it to a degree. And I, I want I want the goodwill that the fans had towards the players to very much be there from day one this time. And if, if a pass goes away or if we, if we do get beat by Nuts Forest at home in August or September or whenever it is, that, that there can't be this knee-jerk criticism of the team that you know I get it the way you're looking at me it's going to be there I appreciate that but I'm also ready for it not all to be our job anymore I mean th- th- this well we've we got relegated last season Rob we, we, this yeah team, oh, 100% 100% if it wasn't for us and you know I, I'll, I I'm an Evans I'll put myself on that pedestal that's absolutely fine but yeah. I, I'm also ready for the football team to do that for me do you get me no, look, uh, guys, if you want to know how long this podcast is, Mark started the podcast lamenting, uh, you know, <laughs> just a, a tirade of negativity about the state of Everton compared to last season. And he is ending the podcast <laughs> saying that we've got to stay. We've got to stay on side. We've got to stay positive. We've got to, you know, we got to k- help carry these players. I, it is it is it is the beauty of kickabout. No, Mark, here's what I would say. I, I think. I think that um, to ask the fans to carry that large a percentage of the quote emotional load is unreasonable for an entire season. But what I do think the opportunity is, and we did talk about this, is that uh, I think I've framed it several times as, you know, when you have that near-death experience, suddenly you want to then reconfigure your approach to life, uh, you know, after that, right? And so I, I think that... I think that starting at home at at night under the lights at Goodison against Chelsea is actually kind of the perfect, you know, with some adversity is probably the perfect start for Everton. I'm not predicting a win per se, but I, I, I don't even really care to predict, but we will, we'll, we'll finish with that. But, um, 
I, I think that the fans are going to, after last season, I think that to your point, the fans will have to play a role throughout. If they play a role consistently throughout, um, and of course, it's very symbiotic, isn't it? Like, it's not like Everton's fans completely disappeared, but what what caused the toxicity was just the complete feeling that they weren't getting any of that congruent effort yeah. or reciprocal effort from the team. The criticisms that I think are very right uh, up to this point about the style of play and how Everton look under Frank Lampard, I think are, uh, you know, they could be a little unfair given the circumstances he walked into, but I think they're, you know, I think they're fair from the standpoint that we, you know, still don't know what the style is. I think there's still some tactical things here and there that we all have some questions about, but what I think we can all generally agree on especially given what we saw at the end of last season is that those players seem to want to play for him uh the relationship the vibe whatever you want to call it between lampard and the 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 crowd at goodison that was a real thing you were at those games mark like that was a real there's a real thing there he he has figured out uh, that part of the equation, he has figured out how to say to you know do the quote plain talk, straight talk thing after a game where he is willing to go at the refs a little bit, where he is willing to call out his own players uh, and say what he you know the fans need to hear to a degree. Uh, you know that empathy is is something that I think a lot of Everton manager like you know I, I still have a soft spot in my heart for Marco Silva, but he just never figured that part of the equation out. And it, yeah. and it and it and it, he couldn't. You can't buy time. I think Lampard can buy a little more time and goodwill that way. But to your point, I think the fans. Um, you know, you're right. Like we shouldn't have to keep carrying so much of the burden. But I just think it's in the DNA of this club, and I don't think it can ever totally go away. That oh, no. the that Everton as a non. Uh, anointed top six side who get all of the structural advantages that the Premier League, the referees and everything else set up for them are going to have to have that little bit. Like we talked before about how Everton almost have to, they have to operate as a club that um, accentuates the advantages on the margin, right? Like they have to, for instance, hit on, you know, some young players. They have to hit on, they have to develop their own players. They have to, um, you know, be able to, you know, if they can't acquire a bunch of talent uh, by spending money, they have to be really good at internal development and all these really boring concepts no one wants to talk about. I think, though, that the the fan piece of that, and, and I, I was struck by um, – you know the you guys didn't see it here, but the studio show uh, over here at that during that Palace game and uh, and even after the Leicester game and some others, uh, it's uh, Rebecca Lowe, Robbie Earl, and um, oh gosh, I'm blanking out. It was the, the other Robbie, Rob, not Robbie Earl, Robbie. So whatever. Um, I will. Yeah. I'm just. It's too early in the morning. Uh, to Rob is. I'm. I'm googling it to make sure that I, I've oh. got this. Oh, Robbie Musto. Robbie Musto. Robbie Musto. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were talking, and and they had a really astute discussion. When they were, they were basically one thing that NBC does a really good job of in terms of their coverage of the Premier League, is that when a game ends and there is just there are just those scenes like we had at Goodison, they will just let the camera keep rolling. 
and they'll say nothing for long periods just to let you soak it in. And I will say that's my favorite part about their approach to it. But after that was on, there were, there were a couple times in the run in at the end of the season where they just, they started off their analysis, not talking about the, the, just the result, the players, the tactics, anything. It was just about the Everton fans. And they said, and Rebecca Lowe, who's very good as a studio kind of moderator asking great questions, said, you said, you look at the scenes right now, you look at this crowd. Is this just proof that Everton are simply too big to go down because of the fans? And and it was a really good question. And and I think that there there is, to your point, Everton would have gone down without the fans. And I would say that the we talk a lot about how great our fans are. We we probably need to start referring to our fans, not just as great fans, but as one of our elite strengths as a club. It's one of the things yeah. that gives us an advantage over other clubs. The other clubs have advantages that we don't have. They have advantages with money. They have advantages with resources, uh, you know, stadiums, et cetera. What we do have are, is an advantage that, let's be honest, is really, for the most part, unmatched in the Premier League. There are some that probably come close to it, but in terms of away support, in terms of 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 what the ceiling of Goodison can be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about can you bring that over to Brantley more. I, I think I think they will. I just don't think I think it's in the. I think that. You know, a home is not not the actual bricks and mortar and roof and whatever. It's it's the people, uh, and I think Everton will bring that over. But for this season, I think Everton are going to still need. Uh, I think let's put it this way: forget the need part for a minute, Mark. If Everton just get that kind of continuous fan engagement and fans staying, you know, connected and on, and on side of the players and the manager on a relatively consistent basis. How many points is that worth? It's worth it's worth a few. And you know what? As we saw last season, even a few points is the difference between life and death. And so I, I think that, that Everton are still at a stage, especially as they're trying to go younger, um, that, that, that that element of it cannot be understated in terms of its importance. No, or overstated in terms of its importance. Sorry. Yeah, that's it. I think, you know, the, the point that that you rightly said is, I think the the key word you said was burden. Um, you know, you're right. Uh, no Evertonian sees it day to day, or sorry, game to game as a burden because once you're there, you see it as a duty more so. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, the the impact on a on a day to day life is is probably the one element that I'm, I'm not signing up for again this year. You know, that, yeah, that, goes, yeah. that goes hand in hand with the good performance of the team, which is obviously something that we're, we're hoping will be much improved this season. But yeah, you're dead right. It's a it's an intangible asset that most Premier League clubs don't have the benefit of. Um, yeah. you, you, you said exactly that some places get close, but I think the, you know, the thing that Everton fans offer here is not that choreographed home end behind the goal and it's not necessarily solely filling every seat in the stadium. The the unspoken connectivity that fans have with players here is that occasionally you'll see an Everton player like look out of that bus window, Rob, and, and look a fan in the eye and that that person will not have to go anywhere near telling you how important the next two or yep. three hours of his life is because someone like Anthony Gordon can see it. 
and you, you know we we saw a few amazing videos and photos of, of the bus arriving last year whereby players looked genuinely dumbfounded about how important this was and you know the players know the the nature of a football league table they know what a win brings them and they know what the cost of defeat is but I think they found an appreciation last year about just how vital every single match day in particular at Goodison Park but right, right. how vital every match day was and we, you know, I said this with Matt on the show a couple of weeks ago that th- this is only going to intensify as the days of Goodison Park come to a close. And um, you know, second to last season, right? This is this we're counting down now, aren't we? Beyond cup competitions and runs that quite simply do not exist and at the moment don't seem to hold any importance because the league is, is has very much been everything to us in recent times. But we are genuinely looking at less than forty games now. Um, and that is, it, it's pretty painful. And I think, you know, oh. from, from a footballing point of view, we don't want to leave this stadium pathetically. You know, God forbid we're, we're in a different league to what we are now, but we, we don't just want to limp over as being the pre Moyes renaissance Everton, whereby we kind of finished between 12th and 16th every season, but next season's going to be the one that we kick on. That That's not the mentality we want to have next season. Uh, and I'm not see, I'm not saying that this year has to be kind of sacrificed in order to build for next year, but I think there will there will be a place in the back of every Everton fan and players' minds knowing the the importance of of making this next two years count for you know for so many reasons, but in particular for the fact that we are leaving Goodison Park and you know worryingly, Rob, it looks as though Bramley Moore is very much on schedule, so we're, we're not. <laughs> We're not even going to be able to get any sort of bonus games, and you know. Well, you never know. We we saw what happened with Spurs, where it just dragged on into it a third, an extra season or whatever. You know, who knows? But no, got to look. We I think we said it on this pod a few times this summer. Got to cherish Goodison while you can. I am itching to get back over. I I plan to be. I plan to come to at least uh, come over at least twice more before nice. it's over. Uh, I can't wait. Um, but I'm also going to get real into my emotions about it. Uh, final, final thing as we wrap up, Mark. Um, two, two quick questions. Uh, what's your prediction for uh, the result this weekend, and who starts up front for Everton? I, my prediction is uh, Delhi starts up front. Uh, I, I just I don't know what other alter like Rondon is is uh, suspended. I don't think they're putting Broad Nathan Broadhead out there. I don't. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know. Lewis Dobbins gone. Uh, yeah. I think needs must. You're going to have some false, some hot false nine action with Deli Alley, um, and then result. You know what? All this romantic talk of Goodison at night under the lights. Give me two. Give me two one Everton. Uh, yes. 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 One hour and fifteen minutes of. Total nonsense later. I don't think we'll get beat, Rob. I honestly don't. Uh, okay. I'll take I could take a draw. Earlier in the week, Matt Jones said that this game is nailed on for nil-nil in a WhatsApp to me. And ever since mm. he said that, I can't he's remove probably, that from my mind. Um, he's probably right. I hate Matt for yeah. being right so often about stuff like this, but he's probably right. But yeah, I think both both teams have obviously um had a relatively faltering preseason, you know, in, in terms of results for Chelsea, I, I, you know, I can't rattle them all off, but that 4-0 defeat to Arsenal is one that 
one that sticks in the mind. Um, they're, they're obviously being very proactive in the transfer window, but they're doing that relatively late. Um, you know, late. Yeah, they're trying to figure out their defense still. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, So they're, they're, there's definitely frailties there, regardless of how much money they've spent. Um, in terms of Everton's forward line, I think the irony of losing Calvert-Lewin is that, you know, we instinctively see that as Everton go to a non-up top, basically. I think we could very much flip that and say it very quickly becomes a three up top as opposed to a one. I think I, I would probably look at someone like Ali centrally uh, and then it's two of McNeil, Gordon and Gray who are tasked not only with obviously doing a lot of the, the leg work, but the idea of fullbacks is that surely those players don't have to necessarily get back to their own corner flag. And we are able to to really push Chelsea back a little bit more with having those fullbacks and with having those three up top. Um, the the sad element of that ideology is that you leave two in midfield. Um, yeah, who who's that midfield? It's Decore and, and I mean Al, Allen's yeah. fit, I guess, and then or there's a Wobi. Yeah, it's yeah. I, a I think is it feels like he has kind of earned a spot in the starting 11. Yeah, so I, and Matt, Matt of course still thinks uh, he may start at right wing back as opposed yeah. to Patterson. I'm of course, I mean, I think Matt is right. There's a good chance Matt's right, but I also <laughs> fundamentally disagree. Like I just am like Chelsea right now are, are still figuring their defense out. That's why they're still in the market right now. I, I just go put get, give Patterson under the lights, you know, whatever. Just get just let him run, man. I, I I don't know. I like that attacking energy we haven't had from the right back position in a while. I'd like to see it, but you're you know it, it depends. Is Lampard going to be pragmatic and practical? We'll see. Um, yeah, I, I think the lineup would be interesting. I, I fully expect now that, that Mina's been past fit, it's going to be uh, Tarkovsky, uh, Mina centering a three with our Tarkovsky on one side and, and Godfrey on the other, which, by the way, I, I think overall has looked pretty good as a three in preseason. I think that, um, you know, it's preseason and you know, it's a quality competition thing, but um, I think that's feasible at least. I think, I think Godfrey is better in a three uh, when he can accentuate his attributes of, of being more of the guy who just uses his, his pressure and his speed yeah. uh, a little more to cover, cover things. I, I, in a two, his height starts to become an issue a little more for me though. Tarkovsky, I don't think is, is he like six, is he, he's got to be. He's. I feel like he's definitely taller than Godfrey oh, yeah. and Holgate. He's like six two, isn't he? Yeah, he, he, he looks a big lad in person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So him and Mina, him and Mina back there, I feel really good about. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I think Chelsea. I, I look. I think. I think the environment couldn't be better. I'm glad it's not a lunchtime fixture. I'm glad it's a you know at night under the lights. Uh, yeah, give me two on Everton. Uh, I'm certain to be wrong, but I'm feeling good about that right now. I'm having a good day. So uh, we'll wrap it up there, Mark. Uh, we, you know, I tried to get you out of here on time, buddy. I tried. One but, day. Uh, one day. You know, uh, <laughs> hey, your, one, your, two hour, your uh, one hour and 20 minute kickabout is back. We are already in, mid, <clears throat> already in midseason form, guys. Uh, you are, you're welcome. So uh, for Mark, uh, I'm Rob. We're going to, as you know, this is one of many, uh, you know, pods this week. We're just uh, dripping in content. Aren't you j- jumping on a pod later with uh, Matt? Is it Matt and yeah. Patty or Matt and Dave? No, Matt and Les. Um, so after, Matt and Les, that's right. After slagging off predictions and everything about them. Um, my Matt and Les's prediction show will be out shortly. Um, so yeah, okay. It's uh, as you say, mate. It's it's flowing with content at the moment. 
All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, for Mark Mosey, I'm Rob Vera. We will be back uh, probably in a couple of weeks for, for more kickabout. Uh, let's let's see how these first couple of games go. And uh, obviously, uh, Mark uh, and myself will, you know, inter- you know, at various times also be on uh, some post-match. Mark, are you going to be on post-match uh, on Saturday night? I am not. Uh, I am not. That's right. No. Um, but yeah, as you say, very, very shortly. Um as long as as long as Matt is buying some form of round in in the Denby Castle, then yeah, the Denby Castle is the, the new uh, unofficial home for the uh, Blue Room post match. Yeah, it sounds okay. great. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you guys next week, or not next week. We'll see you guys whenever we feel like it uh, for more kickabout. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.